What's up, everybody? Now, before we start this show, I just wanted to give you guys a little uh, insight on Mr. Jared Wilson. Great guy. You're going to love him on the podcast. He had a great story to tell. He's uh, born and raised here in the 805 in Turk County. Amazing basketball player, high school basketball player, won a CIF championship for Ventura High School, then got a scholarship to go play at Westmont here in uh, in California. Now, his story sounds pretty typical, right? You know, goes to school, gets a scholarship, and, you know, it all leads leads to great things. However, through his journey, he went through a lot of obstacles, getting injured every year and just dealing with uh, not only physical injuries but mental depression as well through through college and figuring out how to beat that obstacle and how to beat it with support from and honestly, the people who he loves, but most importantly, a gentleman who was a trainer for the basketball team. I'll let him tell you the story, but there's so much positivity about this about this episode because we talk about him taking a chance, opening up his own business, being able to succeed through COVID, getting the opportunity to work with NBA players such as LA Clippers superstar point guard John Wall right now, but most importantly... He's able to be what he's always wanted to be, a loving husband, a great father, and just a stand-up, a stand all-around good guy. So enjoy the show. And, of course, guys, if you guys haven't told somebody, let somebody know about our podcast. Subscribe, listen, comment, all that good stuff. And, of course, support the Big Dogs Only merch. Link is in the bio. We have amazing merch. Anyways, guys, hope you guys have a good time listening to this. And enjoy, Mr. Jared. Wilson, everyone calls it different. What is yours? What have you? What have you been called? Trainer, personal trainer, performance coach, girl dad, girl dad, everything, whatever you want to call it. I love it. That's how we're gonna start. Oh yeah, it's been a little bit, but we're back. Welcome everybody to Pep Talk. You got myself, Mister Big Pep. You have my co-host, Mr. Juan Ramirez. Hello. What's cracking? I'm good. Um, that was cool hearing that song. It's been a while since I heard it. It's been a while. I know. It's been a few months. I think yeah. life happens and, you know, we got to do some stuff. But now we're back at it. We just released our first uh, Where You Been podcast episode. We get to tell people what we've been doing, uh, why have we, you know, been away. And now we're back, right? Yep. So, for this new episode, new guest, we got Mr. Jared Wilson. So, Jared and I, we just met recently. Wait, hold on. You didn't give him cheers? Fucking Jared right. Wilson. <laughs> yes. I'm going to keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't stop. We technically met through Instagram. Pretty much. But I remember hooping against you men's league when I was like, I must have been, you were at Westmont. So I must have been, you're with, you're, how old are you? Graduating 15 from Westmont. I'm 29 now. Okay. And I'm 33. So you were probably like 20, you're probably like 19 or 20. Yeah. Cause I played in a lot of those 2011, 2015. Yeah. Like West Park. Yeah. West Park, all those ones. I dig it. So, you know, I, I was, uh, I go through social media and I just see um, a bunch of people that I know. And then I, I stumble through through to Jerry's page and I realized that I was like, man, he's he's a personal trainer. He's a strength and conditioning. But then I also see him with 
NBA players. Then I see him with John Wall, who is right now the point guard for the LA Clippers. And I was like, why does he look so familiar? And then I reach out to Nolan. I was like, yeah, he's from Ventura. So we got a Ventura local. And I guess the way that we always started is from the beginning, man. So we know that, you know, you pretty much, we were just talking off the air. You're uh, you get paid to be around the sport that we all love basketball. How did that even, I mean, start from the beginning, man. How did you get into it? I mean, who, who was your like role model getting into basketball? Like who, who, who put the love of the game for you? Yeah. So my start of my basketball journey was actually in high school. Um, I grew up playing soccer my entire life. Uh, my sister was a two-time national champion for her club, the Eagles soccer club. Um, so I grew up kind of in her footsteps, wanted to follow her. She went on to Oregon. She was kind of my role model as an athlete growing up. Um, but for me, when I got to high school, a lot of my friends that I had started playing basketball and I'm sure you guys know, you can't just go play pickup soccer. It's like hard to just be like, Hey, let's go play some pickup soccer. Nobody wants to do that. It's not fun. Um, so all my friends were like, Hey, let's play pickup basketball. And, and, you know, growing up, like playing the backyard, seven foot rim, dunk on each other, all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I got to high school, I tried out for the soccer team, made varsity as a freshman, tried out for the basketball team made the freshman team, couldn't really play basketball. I was, my skill was terrible. I just worked really hard, played good defense, those type of things. But it was almost kind of transition at that point where like soccer wasn't quote unquote fun anymore. Couldn't do it with my friends. All my friends were playing basketball, you know, so it was a hard decision where I just said, basically I'm going to play soccer or I'm going to play basketball. Sorry. Um, so that's kind of where the love of basketball started because I started literally from the bottom. My freshman year, I played 30 seconds a game. Um, I think my first game I went in, I had like four turnovers in 12 seconds. And my coach was like, yeah, you're done. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're not playing anymore. But I would get, you know, play, get steals. Um, but from that point, it was like the soccer world was my dream was always to be a collegiate athlete. My sister was a collegiate athlete. I wanted to follow her footsteps. Yeah. So from that point on, my only goal I ever wrote down in a journal was be a collegiate athlete. And now that's basketball. So I have to figure out how to do that. So was it by me asking, sorry to cut you off, but was it like BD1, BNAI, or just get a scholarship? Like how, how, was, how was that for you? So for me, for soccer, it was always D1, biggest school, UCLA. Like that was my set goal. I'm going to go to UCLA. My sister went to Oregon, Pac-12. Pac um, but when I went to basketball, it was real humbling. So at that point, it was like, I just want to get a college scholarship. Like for me, in my head, it was like, you know, I, I grew up, you know, well, well off, like money was never really an issue. But for my head, it was like, I would love to get a scholarship to help my parents out. Like they don't, yeah. you know, they don't got to pay for college, whatever it is. Um, so that's where that love started. I started training, you know, I did the typical wake up in the morning before school, get shots up, uh, after school, go home, do a little bit of homework, go into my gym, which was in the backyard. Luckily I had my dad had a gym at the house, um, get a lift in. My dad would train me most of the time. And then I'd go to LA fitness at night or, you know, anywhere I could find pickup, which you could find in basketball and just play two, three, four hours. Cause my dad taught me the only way you're going to get a basketball is, is like playing basketball, like right. playing in live situations, not just shooting, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's kind of where the love of basketball came. Um, and it grew just because, you know, people freshman year, sophomore year were kind of like, man, you're trying like way too hard. Like, I think nowadays people call it like a try hard. I think that's like a, a term people use. Like I have clients in my in my gym that are like, oh, that kid's a try hard. Like he just tries way too hard. I never yeah. heard of that, but is that yeah, a, it's in my yeah. gym. It's like, <laughs> a, is that a thing? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's like a thing now, and I'm I'm always in my head. I'm like, isn't I that, was. Isn't that, that a kid. good thing? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's a try hard. He tries too hard and pick over. I was like, that's how I I got a scholarship. Work like, ethic. Like I averaged, I think I averaged like maybe twelve points a game in high school, but I averaged like four or five steals, which was eight ten points. Yeah. So it's not like I was shooting threes or like doing all the cool stuff. It was like I just guarded the best player and I would get steals, and that's how I got my points. Um. But so it led to that and it led to, you know, a lot of my friends that I became friends with on the freshman team ended up going a little bit higher than me, like JV when I went to the sophomore team. And so that just grew to like, they all just counted me out. Like we'd play one-on-one, they'd kill me. Um, and they're like, yeah, you know what, man, like you're just trying too hard. Like you're trying too hard to do something that you're not going to do. You should go back to soccer. Because um, when I started high school, I was 5'2", 98 pounds. Jeez. My freshman year to my sophomore year, I grew 10 inches. So I was, I think I got to like 6'1-ish, 6'2", somewhere in there, 6-foot-ish. Um, so like the soccer world, that's like being a 7-footer in basketball. Of course. So like I had the soccer people coming back up to me like, dude, you have the skill of soccer? Like go back to soccer. Like You'll go D1 for sure because yeah. you're just like it's the easy route. Um, so like my sophomore year, I was like a baby elephant, as you imagine. Like I couldn't move, but like I was still played really hard. And then I just kind of grew in my body my junior and senior year. And, you know, that's, like, really where, like, the, the true love of basketball just kind of came. Jeez. And that's nuts. I would have never imagined you short, barely meeting you today. Yeah, I was, like, I, I, was, I, was I was tiny. Like, I was, like, f- I mean, I was 5'2", 98 pounds when I graduated eighth grade. That was me. Uh, high school, I went 5'2", to 5'3". <laughs> <laughs> Stayed there. So, you know, so you, you – you, Play ball in high school. You end up having like a successful senior year. Yeah. So and we. Yeah. I mean, I cut you off, but like we won. We ended up winning CIF. Junior year, or senior year. Senior year. Okay. So senior year, we had like ten seniors. We again, like those were all my friends growing up. Yeah. Like we all grew up in Ventura together. We all would go to each other's birthday parties, like hang out. So it was kind of like a you know a Ventura homegrown team, um, and we ended up going on to win CIF um, that year. Uh, had one of the best records in uh, Ventura County history. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was like a huge year for us, and it was like super fun. It kind of made everything like worth it. It was like this all worked, made sense. That's insane. Just to like be from Ventura, have your boys play, and then you end up winning the CIF. When did you uh, when did you hear the news that you were offered a scholarship? Yeah, so for me it was, I, again, being 5'2", graduating eighth grade, like I think I hit puberty when I was like 19. Like I was, I was just like little kid, never like grew, never really filled out in my body. So towards the end of my senior year, it was kind of like, I'm going to go to venture college. Like I was cool with Joey Ramirez my dad's a doc in town. So he kind of knew everybody. And, and I, he started having conversations with me. Like, look, your maturity level and your, um, like your physical maturity level. And then also like your basketball, like skill set isn't as high as like every other person in the world that's yeah. trying to get a scholarship. So it was kind of understanding, like, look, I'm cool going to VC, but if I get anything else, I'll get anything else. And one of my mentors told me, he's like, the longer you go in CIF, the more people are going to see you. For sure. Um, so it was literally after our championship game. Um, there was one play where I had, like, I think I had a bad foul that came down, hit a three, um, and that's what ended up basically getting my scholarship in a sense. So Westmont came out to me. I think it was like two days after that called me said hey we want you to come out to open runs um, up at the school um, went up there went through open runs for quite a few like two or three weeks and they had my parents come up and 
um, sit down, go over the whole scholarship, go over what it's all going to look like, um, made sure everything made sense. And then my dad called me. He's like, yeah, you're going to go to Westmont. So Sign right there. That's dope. Yeah. And so for you, were you, when you, when you signed and you were like going, were you also kind of like, I don't belong, or I should be at VC or were you kind of like, fuck it. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, I think at that point in my life, it was so. It was Cause you like were so, also on a CIF high. Like you yeah. got, you just won your, your, your big shit right now. It was, it was, it was shocking. I think to me, cause like to me, it was four years ago where I started really playing basketball. And then now I have a school that's about to give me money to go play basketball for, for free basically. And so like that part was like weird. I was like, and then playing the open runs, like a lot of people don't know at Westmont, like usually if you're like a highly touted guy, you go play one open run, you kill, and then they just sign you right there. But I was a local kid. So like, I think I went to 12, 15 open runs. No way. But like, cause like the first open run I went to, like when you go to open run, you play with the team. Yeah. So it's not like you're playing with like other recruits. It was like, I'm playing against men mm-hmm. and they're, killing me or I'm not shooting well. Like I didn't, I didn't have those things that like schools, I think typically go after like, Oh, this guy's super skilled. He could dunk, he could shoot, he could do all these things. Like my, how I got paid basically, or when I say paid scholarship is playing defense. That's hard to show in like open run or like men's league or whatever. Yeah. Like, you can't show like, yeah. Oh, he's a good defender. It's like, no one really cares about that. Um, so yeah, I went for like, I want to say it was like four or five weeks. I went twice a week and then I finally, on, like, the, the last day when they finally were like, yeah, we're going to offer you, I had, like, my best skill performance probably. Like, I had a bunch of, you know, I finished a bunch of games, had a bunch of points that day, and just felt like I was finally getting there. But it took me, I don't know, four or five weeks to, like, feel like I actually could play with these guys. Like, it was a big jump for me to start to play with you guys. Because you were 18, right? 18, 19? Uh, I was 18. But it, it was more for, for me. It was it was always the skill. Like I was always so far behind in skill. Like I couldn't. Like it's just hard for me to like dribble basketball as good as guys that have been playing basketball since they were five years old, or gotcha. shoot consistently, or do those type of things. Like I purely just worked hard and played defense. That's Jeez, it. I hate defense. <laughs> I hate well, that, defense. that's 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 what you know. In high school, like everybody in college, even when it said and done, is like everybody loved playing with me because like. We'd go in the locker room, you know, pregame, everyone's fired up. Like, I would literally just, who's the best player on the team? All right, I'll guard him tonight. Yeah. And that was our that was, that was was our high school team. That's why we were so good. Like, I had guys around me that could, that could do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I never had to worry about doing that. It was just like, all right, who's the best player tonight? All right, none of you guys else worry about him. I'll and just walk him up. That's just, amazing. Like, and that's just all I did. And, like, my junior year, my favorite quote was the San Marcos high school coach quoted in the newspaper, Jared Wilson is the dirtiest player to ever play in the Channel League. <laughs> like, I had – like I had moms, like 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 not, but like so he was talking shit. It was a diss. Oh yeah. Oh whoa yeah. whoa. Okay. Yeah. No, like because who don't understand? Like like I played defense, but like I also used to like like this goes back to I don't want to put my dad on blast, but my dad was like a doctor and he understood the concept of like hips and the concept of like where referees can see you. Yeah. Where when he's setting a down screen, how do you whatever. So like, I was dirty. Yeah. Like, 100%. Like, you know, my famous thing that people would get mad at me for is, like, on a down screen, like, my knee would come, like, right through your groin. Like, every time. Now that big guy's not going to set a screen on me. Anymore. Yeah. And now I could get through that and I could get a steal. Um, I would have my hips. I would have my hand on, like, the crease of people's hips. Like, when they were trying to come off the screen, I would turn them, and then they would bump into me, and they would get an offensive foul. Like, I had, like I had a system of play how I did it. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I had – Probably people listen to this podcast, like parents that would come up to me after games and like call me, you're such a bitch. Like you, you fucking punk my son. Like, 
Like it was, it was bad at times. Like I had, I had to be your bodyguard. I had to be, es- <laughs> I, had to be I had to be escorted out of like so multiple funny. high school games. But that's just that's just how I, bro. But that's that's survived. life. That's life, bro. Like you, I mean, you you figure it out. Even like the greats, like the NBA players. You know, it's just like they'll tell you. I remember uh, our mutual friend Nolan. Nolan, yeah, yeah. his dad told us during like when they were going for a CIF, he would eat a whole onion before to be like during halftime before a game. So that when he's playing dif- defense, dude would smell his breath. Damn. Like, bro, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah. hey, winners win. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's. I mean, that's what I figured out. And like the like when they when he wrote that, like it was a huge compliment to me because it was like that's. That's all I do. So yeah. like you notice that the stuff I'm doing, like, yeah, people would like, especially in high school, like it was, it was bad because there's, you know, riot rivalries and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. And, and Ventura County's so, so small. small. Yeah. So now we're, we're at Westmont, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you got a scholarship. You know, you, you're one of the few who come out of whether it's Buena, Ventura, Channel Islands, wherever the case is, and you get a scholarship. You're hooping. And your first year, how does it go? Yeah, so, like, go back a second. Like, that that was probably the part to me that was, like, the most hard to get used to. Okay. Was that, like, I was on this team with, like, all my friends that have played basketball their entire life, and I was the only person on our team that got a scholarship. That was kind of, to me, that I was like, man, like, oh, you guys should get this scholarship. Like, I should just go to VC and just give this to, like, one of you guys because, like, you deserve it more than I do. Like, yeah. you brought this team just as much as I did. You're a better basketball player than I am. So, that was kind of, like, getting to Westmont. That's when I started to realize, like, oh, man, this is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, so then I get to Westmont, um, and it was kind of Westmont. Was, Westmont was crazy. It was my freshman or my my rookie or freshman year. Freshman year there, didn't really expect to play that much. I was you know I was the new guy. I didn't you know I I knew at that point like I'm not as skilled as these guys. We were that I think my freshman year we were third in NAI ranked number three. So like we were a good. They were a good team. Um, but probably midway through the season, I landed on one of my teammates uh, f- uh, coming down from a rebound, rolled my ankle real bad, had a high ankle sprain. Um, so that was basically like my freshman year, you know, basketball-wise. That was that was basically it, rehabbing that, trying to get back. Had a good summer. Going to sophomore year, um, I, think we were, I think we were projected ranked as like top five. We ended up finishing at uh, second in the nation. Mm-hmm. Still had an ankle issue the whole time because my biggest thing always was, like, working too hard. So, like, I, I never rehabbed it enough. I never did all the things the right way. So, my sophomore year, um, didn't play much but played in spurts. Uh, we went to the national championship game or national championship uh, tournament. Were you were you playing? No. So, I probably averaged, I don't know, five minutes a game. Okay. Like, not much. Probably less than that, honestly. Like, I was, I was kind of like the role player. Like, if our best player needed a break, a I would jump in and – do that kind of stuff um and then we went to the national tournament first game of the national tournament I went up came down and came down and my ankle kind of felt like funny and it was like didn't roll it didn't do anything I was just like that didn't feel right it felt like it like jammed and right after that I came came home ended up getting what they call like uh they call it dancer's ankle which sounds terrible but it's where your calcaneus and talus uh basically the bone pops out the back of it um, they call it dancers ankle because dancers are always on their toes, so that oh, bone okay. pops out. So but it had, wasn't, but it wasn't the Achilles. No, it was no, just no. like right. Yeah, it's just right behind it. Um, wow. It's like it's literally like tiny, probably like a, a centimeter less piece of bone. But it's like every time you go on your toes or every time you jump, like you could feel that like clicking in a sense. It was it wasn't always super painful. It just felt like it didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and as like a basketball player, it's like you have to jump and you have to do those things. So it's not like oh whatever. 
Um, so like right after that, I got surgery. So that whole off season, I was basically just trying to rehab back, get back to basketball shape, get back in there. So then came into junior year, uh, was supposed to play more that year. Um, but Westmont was tough and I, I don't think I was like fully ready for that just because they had rules in place as a, you know, a, a Christian school, um, that, you know, as any college kid, dumb 18, 19, 20 year old yeah. would do like, you know, I did some, I did some dumb stuff there where I, you know, I got suspended for a game or two. Um, so like me and the coach kind of went back and forth, butted heads. Was, was the suspensions like, uh, justifiable? Uh, for this, for the institution. Yes. But like, for a, but for a, but for a 19 year old? Uh, no, definitely not. I mean, any other, and that, that was the hard, that was like the hard part to understand, but like I knew going into it, like I got to follow these rules if I want to, you know, go into the school. Like, I mean, you get in trouble for, for drinking, mm-hmm. you get in trouble for drinking, you get in trouble for being in a girl's room, but like you're a 19, 20 year old and male, you're in college and you're in college and you're on the basketball team. Like you're going to go in a girl's room if you shut the door, <laughs> like, like they kind of like. You shut the door, like, I got suspended for two games. I went, I was, my girlfriend at the time went in her room, door was shut, and, like, the person next door, like, told on us, and they, at the school, in my opinion, they just kind of jumped to, like, the worst possible conclusion. Like, we were watching a movie. Haters. And so they, like, came in, my coach calls, he's like, you're suspended for two games, you gotta, you have all this stuff. I was just like, all right. You know, like I I knew in the rule book what was coming. Yeah, like you're gonna get in trouble, but like I didn't know he's suspended for two games. And during that time where you got suspended, were you uh, like in the rotation? Uh, no, probably not. Like I was, that was that that first one was probably like my sophomore year. Okay. Um, but we kind of just always butted heads, me and my coach, because it was like in this off season, I felt like I was always getting love, like I was doing better, I was playing well, pickups, all that kind of stuff. And then when season games comes. It was kind of like I didn't I didn't really have like a fit on the team because when you get to college like a lot of guys could play defense that was my thing and a lot of guys are skilled and I wasn't as skilled so mm-hmm. like I kind of understood I was like you know but I felt like I brought value to the team um, when I was on the court but so then my junior year came I ended up getting turf toe um, which was just up and down couldn't do much could do stuff couldn't do much so it was just kind of like a roller coaster and I already hadn't broken the rotation so it wasn't like oh, let's get you better just to get you back on the court. It was kind of like, well, you're not getting a ton of minutes, so let's just rehab you. And then it was hard to get back in the rotation. Um, so, obviously, my college career is plagued with injuries. That's uh, yeah. what I'm getting at. But uh, So then I knew going into my senior year, um, like that was going to be my year. Like I was just going to – I was going to kill. I worked my I worked my ass off to get to that point. Everything was like you were injury free. Yeah. So going into my senior year, everything seemed to be good. Um, I worked my ass off. I came in beginning of the season, and coach was like, "Man, you look so good." Like you know, my I, I finally started shooting the ball really well. Everything started to click for me, which like you know that's eight years now playing basketball. So things started to feel more comfortable for me. Um, we won our first game, uh, and then right after our first game. I went uh, two or two days later. Or so we had we had a practice. I went up for a rebound, grabbed the rebound, pivoted to my right through an outlet, and my big toe like exploded. It was like the best way I could explain it. I literally oh. fell straight to the ground. Um, was cussing like crazy, which obviously like they don't like there. Um, Your big toe exploded, bro. <laughs> <What the laughs> yeah, it's like I don't, I don't, they were more mad at like you cussing than your than. So than, I was going because it was it was one of those weird moments where like. I would compare it to like guys that get Achilles or ACL or something like that because like 
when I did it, it wasn't like your rolled ankle where you're like, damn, that shit hurts. Yeah. Like, but I'm going to be good in a couple of weeks. It was literally like, it felt like someone took a hammer and just smashed the bottom of my big toe. Jeez. And like almost instantaneously, I was like, my career's over. Like, that's the first thought that went in my head. So we go down, go down to the locker room. They had to carry me down. Um, the, the trainer cut my shoe off because like my big toe, like if you moved it in extension or flexion at all, like it felt like it was just 10 out of 10 pain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was like, my, my season's over. So a couple of days later, I went and get an MRI. My, so basically your sesamoid bone, which is at the bottom of your big toe. Uh, it's a floating bone in your body. So it, it doesn't connect anything. It runs in between the two tendons on the bottom of your toe. So that's why it hurts so bad is because, so I broke mine into like four pieces and these are like the size of like a pea. Like it's tiny, but it was like in four pieces. But like every time you extend or flex your toe, that tendon runs through there. So it's just aggravating that bone. Jeez. Um, so like after the MRI, they're like, yeah, basically, you know, this is a terrible injury. Basically you could like rest and hopefully it gets better or you could get it like surgically removed and they put something in it and like your season will probably be over. Um, so I was like, but like kind of already in my head, I was like, my season's over. Like the first doctor I went to was like, yeah, you're like, this is a real hard rehab. Like wa- like your big toes used for everything. So yeah. like walking, playing basketball, all that kind of stuff is, uh, is important. So from that point, my season was over. Basketball was over. Um, and I personally, um, not to get like super deep, but like went into like a first part of like real depression. Um, I never really experienced it before. Like, again, like part of my story is like, everything was like great. Yeah. I quit soccer. I go to basketball. I work my ass off. I get a scholarship. Uh, I got a great, got a lot of, even though I had a lot of injuries early on in my career, it was like Westmont was great. Like I had a lot of lifelong friends. The team was great. All those things were super fun. So it was like, life's great. I'm yeah. about Westmont. It's in freaking Montecito. Yeah. Like Oprah's our so, neighbor. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can't really complain or view. Like I was, I was living a great life. Um, so like when that hit everything up to that, like my identity was like in basketball and like, I didn't really have structure of like what else I want to do. Mm-hmm. So when I, when they kind of told me like your careers, like basketball careers over, like I wasn't going to go play in the NBA or go to Europe or anything like that. It was kind of, for me, it was like, well, there's, there's no real point of like anything anymore. Like why did I work this hard? You know, all these things ran through my head. So I probably went through three or four months where I was like heavily into like pain meds. Um, I was drinking a ton, smoking a ton. There's a famous picture of me. It's not, it's like famous for like our team. And like, it was like a joke after the fact that I was done with all this. It was a terrible time. I think I had like, I don't know, like a hundred probably Norcos in front of me an ounce of weed and like four bottles. And it was like, th- it was kind of a point where my team was kind of like, man, this guy's like not doing good. Oh, like shit. one of my buddies came into my room and I was living off campus at the time. He came in my room and like, you know, a college room, yeah. my, my bed's on the ground. I had like a 60 inch cheap TV on the thing. And that was like it in my room. So like in front of my bed lined up why I have like a cast on. I, so I had gotten surgery. I don't know if I said that. So I got in surgery season's over. I'm sitting up with my feet up and like, there's, two or three pill bottles, pill bottles, three bottles of vodka, and then, like, an ounce of weed. And my buddy walks in, makes a joke of it, you know, make light of it. Like, oh, man, it's crazy. Like, you know, you're just living the life in here. And then I remember after he texted me, like, man, are you all right? Yeah. And, you know, as a man, 
who I am at least, like, I just put everything aside. Like, I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. You don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah, I was like, I'm good, man. Like, you're good. But basketball, like, when you're hurt in college, like, you still go to the games. Like, and you're still part of the team. Like, they're, they're still paying for your education. So, going to the games was, like, the worst thing for me. Like, being around basketball. Like, I, I had this great, immense hate for basketball all of a sudden. Like, it just, like, it didn't make sense to me. So, like, I would go to games, like, pop four Norcos, drink a little bit, smoke a little bit, sit in the stands, wouldn't sit on the bench anymore. Like, it, it, it was bad. It was deep. Um, and then probably the deepest part of it, the worst of it, was coming down from Westmont. Um, I lived on Milpis, which is, like, the backside of Westmont, the ghetto of Santa Barbara. Um, so there always came down this hill, and there was this turn. And probably for a week straight, uh, I would look – at this and be like, man, I think I'm just going to like drive off this. And like, it's, it's weird to talk about now. And it's weird to like, think about that. I ever thought those thoughts, but like it is real and it is true. Like I, I definitely had suicidal thoughts, um, during that time just because I didn't really know. I didn't really know what the point was anymore. Like I didn't know where, what I was going to do the next day. Like everything I did leading up to that point, like I said before, was like, wake up in the morning, play basketball, go to school, play basketball in the afternoon lift, work out all so I could play basketball. And then that was always gone. So it was like, I don't want to work out anymore. I can't work out. I got a broken foot. I can't do anything that used to give me like that type of happiness. So it's just like, yeah, there's no point anymore. You know, after all that happened in that week of pretty much like deep depression, you know, considering, uh, right. Suicide, right. In a sense, I mean, not in a sense that it was, um, how did you turn, to like the other cheek or the other leaf or how, 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 how were you able to change your mindset or who helped you out? Did you seek any help? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard for me. Cause like I said before, like I've always been the person and like, I still am type of person that has like kind of like a body armor on. I think as a lot of like men do. Um, and I always just try to navigate and figure things out for myself. Um, and like my dad who has been like my hero my whole life, he, we would, we did, we didn't always see eye to eye and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but like my dad, um, one of his turning points in his life is that he lost his sister to a drunk driving accident. And so when I would talk to him about it, it was kind of like what he said, why he became a doctor and why he became so successful was like his sister had passed away. And so he put all his energy into becoming like a doctor. And, like, put all my anger, put all everything, any emotion I had, I'm going to put into being the best possible, like, doctor, med school, all that kind of stuff. And so, like, for me at the time, though, when we would have conversations, that was kind of like, because, like, people don't really understand. Like, I've had, I dealt with this with some of my clients now, but, like, people don't understand when you're in that type of depression or those type of thought processes. It's sometimes people don't understand, like, what you're feeling because for, for other people outside, it was kind of like, it's just basketball. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. you're that depressed over basketball? Like, what? That, that, is, that doesn't matter. Like, I'm not an NBA player. I'm not like, you know, you're a college basketball player. You, like, your life seems great. But it's just the way that I felt. So talking to my dad about it sometimes made it harder because he was like, you know, doing, like, just put your energy into being a trainer, what I am now. And it was like, I'm trying to do that. But, like, I have this mental block right now that, like, I can't, like, I'm unmotivated to do anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to go to class. I don't want to do, I don't want to be around basketball. I don't want to be around the gym. I don't want to do anything. 
I think it's almost like your your identity is just taken away from you. Yeah. yeah. And like training to me up to that point was like sports performance training. Like I'm training for something. I'm not, I've never trained like to be a bodybuilder, to look good. Like no, it was just all like I want to be better at my sport, soccer, basketball, whatever it was. Um, so I never really seeked help, which was probably a, a bad thing. Um, looking back now at my age now, I would probably seek help. Um, what ended up happening for me, luckily was, uh, one of my best friends, um, still to this day, we've had a conversation about it. Uh, Michael Guzman, I say, I've told him before is like basically saved my life. Cause he was like a non-athlete. He worked in our training room, super funny guy, super like just good to be around, like cool to be around. Nothing about basketball. Didn't care about that. Um, we just started hanging out. He was just like, Hey man, you want to go here with me? Yeah, cool. Do you want to do this with me? Yeah, cool. Like, and so he just started to be my best friend at the time. Cause like I said, like I stopped hanging out with all my basketball friends. Cause like, you know, when you're in season, it's like you get done with the game. Like all you want to talk about is the game. Yeah. And I was like, dude, like, I don't want to talk about anything about basketball. Like you guys lost. I don't care why you guys lost. You guys won. I don't care why you guys won. Like it, it just didn't matter to me cause I wasn't a part of it anymore. Um, so we started working out together, me and uh, my buddy, Michael, and that's kind of where it started to go up. Cause like he showed me there's way more to life than basketball and there's way more to life than like what I had just wound in my head. Like, man, you could have fun so many different ways. There's what's the first thing that comes to your mind that kind of opened your eyes when you say like, he showed you like, there's so much like facets of life. Like what was the first thing you're just like, holy shit, like this, like I didn't really see this or understand this. I mean, for me, it sounds crazy. It's like, it's really everything. Like, like growing up, like go back into high school. Like you could ask like my wife, my friends, anyone that's close to me. Like in high school, I literally wore Ugg moccasins, basketball shorts, a hoodie and headphones to school. And I would only hang out with the basketball team. Like I didn't, I didn't have friends. I, I, I don't even think I really have any friends currently from high school, but that was like just me being so obsessed with basketball. Gotcha. So like for me with him, like going to the gym just to like work out like throw some weight around, like two random stuff in the gym um, to going to the library and like hanging out with normal students that are not here for basketball. Like yeah. I never, up to that point, I'd never hung out with anyone that wasn't an athlete or a basketball player. So it was like having random normal conversations about anything. Yeah. It was like, was, which sounds weird, which was like, it was completely eye-opening to me. It was like, there's so much more to life than just talking about basketball and hanging out with basketball people all day. For like, sure. And that was, that was just like, you know, it was for me it was more like seeing that side like my whole life has been athlete side and then seeing like quote-unquote non-athlete side and like what they have and what they're able to do with their free time and like not have to worry about all these other things it was like man this is amazing like I could get used to this I could, <laughs> like, like I don't have to go to practice I don't have to go to games I don't have to I don't have to work out every day like I could just work out for fun and like I could just like, go to a bar at night and chill with you and all that kind of stuff like that stuff was just super eye-opening to me because I'd, I'd put so much time into being good at basketball and having my identity be that. Yeah. I, I honestly, uh, if there's one thing that I, that, I mean, there's a lot of things that you, I, th- I could definitely uh, correlate correlate with you. I think that's, that's the right word, right? Relate. Relate. Sorry, relate. Is is that, I think, being an athlete and you're just like, I'm always around athletes. I'm always around jocks. I'm a jock. Fuck it. I'm a jock, right? And then all of a sudden, it's over and you're like, all right, what do quote unquote regular people do. Yeah. And it's weird because like, you don't want to think that in your mind. Cause also too, at least for me was like, damn. So I'm like leveling down, but it was just like the mindset of like, no, like, yeah, we're athletes where we're striving for something, but so is 
Juan who's driving for it to be an artist or so-and-so who wants to be the next fucking presidential candidate, whatever. And it's just like, you realize like, take that away. There's so much more that you have in common with quote unquote, regular folk, you know, for sure. Yeah, and that's, it's that, that was probably like the biggest thing for me. Was it like, it was like, I dove way, way too deep, like into that jock thing, like Facts. being the cool basketball player, being like, you know, putting so much into that. that like, you don't like, I didn't see, I didn't see anybody else. Like, it really, like, it was bad. Like, in high school, people make fun of me all the time for it. In college, I was the same way. Like, in college, I put headphones in with no music on just so I didn't have to talk to people. <laughs> like, I just, I, I was so focused on what I wanted to accomplish and do that, like, I just, I never gave anyone the time of the day. And, like, that was the big thing with Michael is, like, he was the opposite of me. Like, he would walk around campus. And at Westmont, Westmont's, like, a 1,300 students. Like, it's tiny. Like, you know, by the end of, like, the first month of school, you know every face on campus. Yeah. So, like, he would walk around and, like, everybody would know him. Like, Michael, what's up, man? What's going on? And then, like, all of a sudden, I started hanging out with them. And they're like, dude, you're hanging out with that guy? Like, what? And so, like, he showed me that, like, dude, like, these people are dope. Yeah. Like, these people are cool. They're all they're all doing their own thing. Like, he's going to med school. He's doing – I'm like, man, I didn't know anything about any of this about any of you guys. Like, you go – to me, you guys were just, like, moving pieces. And so, like, that was super that, – that was dope and it just brought me out of it. Like, and being around those type of people that, like – again, like, there's so much more to life to, like – strive for or chant, go for um and it was really just like not being around basketball like when i was around basketball it it like messed like when we go on road trips like that's when i would feel my worst like going to bed at night oh because even because even when you were injured you would start to go with them yeah which yeah. which was amazing because like and that was a big thing that michael worked in our training room so like he would travel with us and so like when the team like to be on a road trip you know go and get dinner come back we might go to like typically when i was playing we'd go to like one of our rooms, chill with the five of us, like an AAU trip, like yeah, yeah. similar thing when you're in college. Like for me, then it was like, Hey Michael, what are you doing? Like you come chill. Like, let's just chill. It's like, I was chilling with Michael and luckily he was on the road with us. Cause like when he wasn't, it was like that, that was when it was the hardest being around basketball, being in that setting. But like it feeling like it was just like ripped away from me. Yeah. And you also didn't have an outlet. Yeah. There's no outlet. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have the option to like try to go play or try to do something. It was just like, it's done. So, you did you graduate? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you graduated. Uh, are you healthy at the time, or did yeah. you walk with crutches? Graduation or how? How did it everything? Uh, so like, it was it was early season. So that's like in what was it like November maybe? Okay. Um, and one of the one of the like, so they basically what they said with my surgery was that like, you could not get surgery, recover, and like possibly try to play at the end of the season if you guys do really well, which we ended up going to the national championship game that year. Um, but they were like, we also can't promise that this will never happen again. Cause they're like, once you're, once it's like that, like say for example, you're doing like a box jump yeah, or walking, they're like, it could technically, you could feel that again. Like that's what the doctor told me. Jeez. And so he's like, what do you plan on doing when you're older? And like, I was the weird kid that like knew from when I was really young that I wanted to do something in performance, medical, whatever that was going to be. And I, at that time I had started to figure out that I was going to be a personal trainer. Um, and so I looked at him, I was like, well, I'm going to be a trainer for ideally professional athletes. And he's like, well, I'd probably suggest surgery then. Cause he was basically like, you could be like demonstrating a jump for an athlete one day and your foot could just like pop again. Fuck. And I was like, well, that would look terrible and I'm super active. So I'll just get the surgery now versus like wait, way down the line. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting surgery right away, ended up graduating, walking to graduation. And at that point, graduation came like I was probably at my like best state just like peaceful 
understood what I wanted to do, understood that like that's in my past and let's just kind of move forward. So then now we're talking the next chapter, which is the personal training side. So with personal training, what was your first gig? So, or was it strictly training basketball players or was it like, I just want to be, get people into bodybuilding. Like the, again, like I was, I was the weird kid. Like in high school we would train, like my dad grew up training us. Um, so like I would always have friends come, my dad would train us, we'd work out in college. Like I would always have people come train with me. Like I was like, Hey, I'm going to the gym. You want to come train? And Mm -hmm. they would do what I had written out. Um, and then, so, and then in college when I'd come home for the summers, like I would train high school kids or I would train anyone that wanted to come train with me. Not, not, I didn't, wouldn't charge anyone. It would just be like, Hey, just come train with me. Cause I didn't like to train by myself. So it was like, Hey, you guys want to come train with me? Cool, let's go train. Let's go work out in the morning on the court, and then let's go in the afternoon and go lift. Um, so I was always kind of building that, like, reputation, I guess, that, like, that was what I was going to do. So then when I graduated, I already had probably, I don't know, three, four, five high school kids, basketball players. Yeah, mostly basketball players. Um, that as soon as I graduated, they were like, yeah, I'll train with you, like, for sure. So I rented space, um, and I rented space in Ventura for a little bit. Um, just paid rent there, had guys come in, train them, do that kind of stuff. And then like, I did that probably only for like two months. As soon as I finished that, or as soon as that kind of came to an end, um, proactive sports performance, which is in Westlake, uh, internship opened up from a connection from my dad. And like I said, my goal always was to be with professional athletes and they trained like everybody you could possibly think of from NFL, NBA, MLB, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll go do that. Um, moved was I, I think I was living with my parents at the time so it was easier to make that kind of decision it was an unpaid internship for like 12 12 weeks so it was like you know you can't you can't live in Southern California without any type of money so yeah. I was just living with my parents um so I did that ended up getting hired on there um and that that just gave me a ton of confidence because they were like yeah you're you're legit like you're definitely one of the guys that could you know could do some stuff in this industry so I worked there probably for like a year and a half and I always had it on my radar that if it worked out financially, like I would love to stay there. Like being a part of like a team community yeah. has always been my thing. Like being on teams, basketball teams, whatever it was, I've always loved that. So, um, but it got to a point there where it just didn't work out for um, me and my fiance at the time um, financially. Cause we were about to get married. Um, we talked about having kids living in Southern California is brutal. Um, if you want to like buy a house and do all, all that shit, the family family people do yeah. and like that's what we dreamed of forever so it was like all right well I got to make a change and this was 2018 um so I was like all right I'm gonna walk away walked away um rented space at mile 26 um Josh Spiker's place which is in Ventura which is in Ventura yeah he at the time he had like a a warehouse and then in the back of it he had like this thousand square foot it was already kind of set up for a gym because he would, he had a running club. So like he would do like running club workout type of things back there, but like it wasn't really successful. Like, it, so he was kind of using it as storage. And then my dad kind of helped me pl- or plugged me in with him. And he was like, yeah, if you want to rent the space, like here's the price. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll do it. Um, so I moved, moved back into town with like, I think I had like five clients confirmed when I left proactive. What year was this? 2018. Okay. So this was like, so I had like, yeah, like five clients. Um, I think I had like two moms, one soccer player, basketball player, 
and like a rehab client. And I was like, all right, I can make that work. Um, so yeah, I moved back there and then just started slowly building. You're at your facility that mile 26, right? You said you had it for a year or you were at a year. Well, yeah, at, yeah, roughly a year. Started with five clients within a year. How many did you end up having? Like 60, 60 ish without a year. Yesterday when we were on the phone, I asked you where it was at, and you told me, if you know, you know. That's it. <laughs> how, how, how did, what was the concept on that? Like, why wouldn't you be like a, like a local Ventura uh, gyms, like a Mavericks, Anytime Fitness, uh, I don't know, a 24-hour fitness, like, why don't, why don't you have like a big old banner or whatever? I don't really know, to be honest. I, I, when I, so when I started, I was like in the back of mile 26. So it was like you couldn't see it from the road anyway. So if I put a huge sign on the wall, like it would be hard to see. Um, and I was just kind of the type of person that was my work is going to is gonna show. And when my work does show, they're going to spread the word for me, and then I'm going to get more clients. Um, and when I came back, like I, I wanted to work with anybody. It doesn't didn't matter if you're an athlete or not. Like I wasn't like an athlete-specific place. Like I worked with moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, um, rehab people, uh, athletes, full spectrum of people. It's basically just like I want to make an impact in Ventura because I truly believe that nobody trains, no no trainer in Ventura does what I do. Like what I brought to Ventura um, was very unique, very different than anybody that had done it in Ventura. Like a place like where I was at before Proactive, like you don't see those type of places in Ventura. Mm-hmm. It's like hard to, hard to do. Like I mean I had, I had multiple mentors of mine saying like open gym in Westlake, like not Ventura because – the way you can charge for your for what you're worth is a lot different from Westlake to Ventura. Did you ever think about taking that advice and going out there? Uh, no, because that's been my whole life. People telling me you're crazy, you can't do that, and I was like, well, okay, I'm gonna open it to a Ventura. I'm gonna get big enough where I'm making enough money, and you guys are all just gonna be like, man, you actually did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one one of those people like I don't think I've ever I've, I've told him and joked about it, but like I went to I went to coffee with like my brother. And my dad, which are like two of my like closest people. And they're like, you're kind of crazy. Like my brother's kind of like a numbers guy. And he's like looking at like, okay, on the high end, you could charge someone like this. The low end, you could charge someone this. It's probably your sweet spot in Ventura. Like you're going to need this many hours in a month, this many hours in a week, blah, blah, blah. To like make enough money to live in Ventura. He's like, I don't know if you could do it. Like, and my dad, long story short was like, my dad had a, someone work for him before he wanted to stay with my dad. My dad told him to go to Westlake. He went to Westlake and now has a huge company in Westlake, making a ton of money. Yeah. Like more money probably than my dad has made just because it's like Westlake versus Ventura. It's yeah. just how it is. And I, I always had wanted to come back to Ventura and open a gym in Ventura. Like, that's super dope to me. Like, be a hometown kid. Sure. People know who I am um, from Ventura, like, and then just open a big gym in Ventura. But so then, so then from that little spot, we moved to a bigger spot um, off Thompson. And uh, mile 26 ended up moving with us. So it's right on Thompson and Seward um, next to the CVS. And and that one has a logo, right? Zero logo. Wow. <laughs> I'm, t- <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you like, I mean, I mean, you didn't even know I had a gym. Interior. I had no idea. On my Instagram, you would have no idea where I'm working out of or what I do unless you train with me or unless you know where my gym, like people now, people now are like before when I was working there full time, I'd get a new client. Boom, here's our address. Because when you type our address in, it pops up mile 26. It doesn't pop up my gym. So a lot of people would, like, walk into mile 26, 
and then he'd be like, oh, yeah, you're next door. And they'd be like, what do you mean next door? It's like a warehouse. Gotcha. So, and they'd, like, walk around the corner, and then they would, like, walk in this door, and there's, like, a 4,000-square-foot gym right there. Sick. Um, so, I don't really – I mean, one of the reasons why we never put a logo on this one was because COVID hit. And mm-hmm. so, like, we kind of switched and made it to, like, this, like, quote-unquote, like, underground. Like, I was going to make a website that called it the underground, and then you had to apply to come to my gym. So, like, all it would be is, like, a black thing that said underground and then, like, enter your email. Nice. <laughs> as soon as you entered your email, that would come to me. I would reach out to you. Like, we never did that because I ended up leaving. But, like, it was kind of turned into this thing that, like, I kind of like nobody knows where I'm at. And the yeah. people that are, people that do know where I'm at, in my opinion, and uh, which kind of comes off bad sometimes, is, like, I'm doing the best work. So, like, those are the people that are meant to be there. You you brought up you brought up COVID, right? So, during the the era of COVID, how did that affect your business for the best, for the worst? Like, how? To- yeah, I mean, because, yeah, COVID was brutal for a short time. Um, when it first came on, I stayed open because for me, it was, wasn't about like putting, for me, it was, it, it, for me, it became like all my clients, I sent out a text. If you want to train, I'm here to train. If you want me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. But for me, I thought, like for people's mental health, for kids that can't go to school anymore. Like there was a lot of reasons that like, and I had clients text me like, man, you're the only positive of our day. Like these parents and kids are just sitting at home all day. This is their one outing. They get to go work out, which is amazing for you. Like good energy. Like I would try to make it fun. Like it was a good experience for them to be in that space. Um, And the interesting part about my gym, people don't know is that like, it doesn't have a roof. So like it used to be where we're at used to be a uh, car not a dealership. It used to be like where they would work on cars a bunch though. Okay. So like the roof is literally empty. There's no ceiling. It's like when it rains, it just rains in the gym. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's open. Okay. So, so good, like, cir- good circulation. Yeah. So like in my head, I was like, if someone ever comes here, I'm going to be like, it's an open, it's open facility. Yeah. Like I don't have, you can't kick me out of here. <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we stayed open. We just shut the door. Like we, I mean, we did it the right way. Like we weren't running huge groups. Like a lot of my business has been private training or like small group, which is like three. I have a 4,000 square foot facility. It's not like an LA fitness. So like I had one other trainer at the time. So at most we have like six people in there or eight people counting us two with 4,000 square feet. Like that's plenty of space to like, we're socially distanced. Um, and then the city came, um, threatened me with fines, threatened me with stuff. So looking back now, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I ended up shutting down the gym for probably a month or two um, just because I think that was like when it started to heat up, heat up. And a lot of my clients started to be like, nah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that person is doing before you. I don't know what they're, what they think. Like, you know, people had vast For thoughts sure. about it all. So it's kind of turned into this thing. Like I'm not trying to be getting into politics with all you guys. So like, let's just shut it down. So what I did basically was that I just went home. I filmed a bunch of stuff and then I just sent out weekly tr- uh, workouts to all my clients for like, 20% or 10% of what they were paying me. It basically was for me to be able to pay my bills. Like I want to help you guys out, but like, I also need to pay bills here yeah. and like survive COVID. So it was like, that's where I set my price point. Like, this is my monthly budget. Like I got to pay these bills for the gym, for like my own house, like all this type of stuff. And like, cool. This it's not that much. So like, that's what we ended up doing for, I guess like, like two months. And then finally I was like, dude, I got to just open back up again. Like I just got to, just got to do it. Nobody knows where we're at. We'll just shut the door. And then people just started, I mean, people started texting me like, Hey, can we come work out again? Yeah. Like why, like why are you shut down? Like you shouldn't be shut down. Jim shouldn't be shut down. So then finally I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's open it up and roll. So I love, I mean, 
COVID sucked, man. But I love the stories of how, like, especially like, I'm a fitness dude and, you know, Juan during COVID, he got into fitness and it was just like a lot of like, I love the secret, like, like underground basketball, underground hoops, un- underground jujitsu. Like we had, like, we had like secret locations, like pretty much like you don't know where you're going until the last minute you go in there, do your thing, get the fuck out, make sure everything's clean. But I love those stories. Um, when did you, when did you like, this is like, I guess like the, the, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like the, um, my highlight. When did you, you, you brought up your wife and you brought that you guys were engaged at the time. Where did you guys meet? And like, how did, like, how did that happen? Our story's pretty dope. Um, my wife is my best friend since fifth grade. Damn. Um, now we did it. We did it pretty smart. Um, cause I think if, if we would have dated at any point during the time that we weren't dating, we probably wouldn't be married today. Cause I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the beautiful thing about it though. So my wife is my best friend since fifth grade. Um, we were truly like best friends from fifth grade to like the end of college. And in my head, my adopted brother um, married his high school sweetheart. And he'd always told me like, if you have a high school sweetheart, like what they did in college was that like, Hey, enjoy college. So we're like broken up. Sure. Um, And then at the end of college, like if we're single and we hadn't found anybody, we'll rekindle and then we'll like see what goes on from there. And so, like, probably in high school, me and my wife, my wife now, like, we would, you know, hang out, kind of try to do the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. But in my head, I always saw her as, like, which sounds weird because we're married now, but, like, quote-unquote, like, my sister, best friend. Like, I, and I saw that from the lens of, like, I wouldn't want to marry someone like you. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up. Yeah. And I was doing a lot of dumb stuff in high school. Um, so, it just happened to be, like, we graduated, we graduated college at the same time. She's the same grade as me. Um, probably two weeks after graduation, she, either she or I hit her up. Um, we went to the pool and she was like, yeah, I just broke up with my boyfriend. Kind of like a, (laughs) 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 kind of like a, you know, I just broke up with my boyfriend, like wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, and like, I don't think we ever did the whole, like, you want to be my girlfriend, boyfriend type of thing. It was kind of like, at that point it was like. All right, we're giving it a shot. Um, and, like, in my head, like, I always knew, like, I wanted to marry her. But, like, we never dated, so it's kind of like, oh, we got to, like, figure this part out. Like, yeah. are we going to, you know, are we going to date or are we just truly best friends? Um, and so, yeah, so then we dated for, so what do you graduate? I don't even know. Old 2015, I was, what, 24, 23, 23, 22, I don't know, 20, somewhere in there. Um, within a year proposed. Um and yeah, we got married at 20, we got married at 24. Um, and it was, it was easy, man, because like, I tell people all the time now that like, just start dating people. Like, like it, it's hard when you date someone and then like red flags pop up. For sure. Like, oh shit. Like, can I be with this person for my whole life? Like, then they move in with you and you're like, wait, this person moves like this. Like, I don't yeah. know if I can live with you. Um, my wife knew everything about me. Like every girl I'd hooked up with every like how I am as a person. And I knew everything about her. So it was kind of like, and you guys knew each other's families. Yeah. We knew each other's families. So it was kind of like, you knew everything. So uh-huh. it was like a good thing and a bad thing. Cause like when I did dumb stuff when we were dating, she was like, 
you're just still the same person. But it was kind of like, it was just kind of back and forth, but it, like, it just made things really simple. And like, she truly is like my absolute best friend and like the rock to like everything that we do. That's amazing. And then you guys have a daughter. Yeah, we have a daughter. And how old is she? Uh, she's gonna be two in January. So and what, and what is her, uh, is she a hooper? Is she a soccer player? Is she just more about like, I don't know, Coco Melon. I don't know my kids like shit nowadays. <laughs> no, like, she's, <laughs> uh, she's, she's going to be whatever she wants to be. Okay. I'm not the type of dad. A lot of people think like, oh, she already lifting weights and doing all that kind of shit and playing basketball. And it's like, and for me, it's kind of weird. Cause like basketball, like was what I did, but like soccer was my true love. Yeah. Like I, I truly love soccer probably more than I love basketball in a sense. Um, and you know, me and my wife have been very open about like, she's just going to be like whatever she wants to be. She wants to be an athlete. Great. If she wants to do something else, great. Like I'm just want to support her and love on her as much as possible. Um, is she leaning towards anything right now? Oh man. She's like one and a half. She's no, just she... talking and running around. Now. She's just living she might life. be kicking a soccer bar. Might I, mean, be... She, I mean, yeah. Like when she kicks stuff, I'm like, Oh yeah. Soccer. <laughs> she throws stuff. I'm like, yeah. Like I mean, we're in the point trying to figure out if she's left handed or right handed. Like she oh, like, okay. grabs things, both hands still and just throws them. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, she's a, uh, she's super smart. We actually just went to the doctor today and like the doctor was like, she's actually like gifted. Like she's one, she's almost two in January. I'm terrible at the whole month thing, but she like already counts to 10. She like knows half the ABCs. She's like super, like he said, like from a vocabulary standpoint, she's like gifted. She's not even like, it's like maybe she'll just be super smart. And that's That's great too. Like I don't like a lot of people joke like, oh, you're a performance coach. She's going to do, I'm like, she do whatever she wants to do. If I will only like be involved in that aspect if she asked me. For sure. Like, I don't want to be the type of dad that's like, oh, you have to play sports, you have to work out. It's like, no, I'll help. I'll put you in all of them so you could experience it. But, like, if you come up to me and say, hey, dad, can you help me with this, then I'll I'll help you. That's like, it. I'm not I'm not trying to – I've seen so many people the other way that I'm not trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that. I think my dad was like that. You have to play sports. My dad, my dad was – you learn a lot from – you learn a lot yeah. from the way, like – like, I say all the time, like – I, my dad's my hero. Like, yeah. truly is my hero. Like, the way he raised us, everything from where he came from to where we are, like, all that kind of stuff, he's my hero. But, like, you also learn a lot from your parents on how you want to parent. Oh, yeah, and there's sure. certain things that, like, I mean, like, my dad used to take us to the park and, like, if we, if I kicked the ball wrong, like, he would punt it down the field. And it's, like, funny to laugh at him. <laughs> Run and get the ball. Like, and right. it's, like, that's just, you know, that that's kind of how it was back then, how parents raised us. And, like, that he truly has shaped me to where I, to get to where I am Facts. today. But, like, I won't. Like I, I won't raise my daughter like that. Yeah, just, I, I have a quote. I tell my wife, I'm like, I, I learned, I learned what to do and what not to do from yeah. from, from 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 parents for sure. Um, so you you have your business. Um, you beat COVID. Your clients are. You have a full full like at this point, what like open, like eighty clients, seventy clients. Like 80, You're doing very well. Yeah. Right. Let's just say that. And then everything kind of takes a turn. Um. Who did you meet and who introduced you to somebody who introduced you to somebody who now where you're at now? Yeah. So I had, I had a client at proactive actually, uh, Paul Heepler. Um, and who's that? Uh, he high school basketball player was Christian went on to play at, uh, Arizona or not Arizona, uh, Albany Christian university, which is a small school in Texas. Um, but I think I started with him when he was like a freshman and he was kind of similar to me. Like he was, I think when I first started with him, he just came off like an appendix surgery so he was like 120 pounds, mm-hmm. this little tiny white kid. Um, so we started training together, became one of my super close friends. Like we're still close to today. Um, and uh, in the summer times, he would hire Alex McLean, who was the head of player development for the Washington Wizards. Um, 
And so he trained with us probably for six weeks, one random summer. And uh, he was like, man, I love your work. Next time I come out here, I'm going to bring one of my guys, which you never really know who that's going to be. You never really know if he's going to bring anybody out. It's just people say that all the time, like would say that to me all the time. I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, no problem. Like, see you next summer. Like, have a great season. Um, and so the next summer comes, and he hits me up. He's like, hey, I'm bringing John Wall out um, for a two-week stint in, in L.A., um, and I want you to be in charge of everything. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, have you talked to him about it? Like, does he know who I am? And he was like, no. Like, I, at that point, he was kind of in control of that. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'll organize everything. So I set up the two weeks for him, schedule, training, recovery, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then after like the, is either the first or second day we were like going through the warm up, and John looked at me and was like, yeah, you're my full-time guy. Um, which was like kind of crazy. Like I was like, well, shit, I thought like for me, I always wanted to get back with the professional athletes. Yeah. And at this point I hadn't worked with any other professional athletes for the last two years. Like for me, when I left proactive, my goal was five years. Like I'm gonna give myself a five-year window to work as hard as I can, work with as many people as I can, build my business as big as I can to where I will then try to make a push to be with professional athletes again. And it, and it was only two years instead of five, right? It was, yeah, it was two. Okay. So I meet John, we hit it off. Um, our personalities, the way we talk shit to each other. Like I was just, you know, that, that's just who I am. I've been around that world. I've like, that's just who I am. So we hit it off. Um, we trained for those two weeks. Um, it wasn't a ton of talk at that time. Like, hardcore talk of like you're really going to be my full-time guy like let's sign a contract this this coming year it was kind of like man I think like like you would change like you would be a big part of my team um so I ended up I ended up flying to DC because he was still in DC at the time uh to train him for like a week leading up to camp and he was kind of like let's just finish this offseason with you camp will start and then we'll kind of try to figure things out and so like at that time I was like man I got an NBA guy that like wants me and my wife was kind of questioning it because we were trying to have kids at the time. Um, it was kind of a bad time to leave. Um, so plus business is doing great. Yeah. Business was doing good. So like, I didn't really, I didn't really need that. Like I was like, I'm in Ventura and I wake up every morning, drive to work, drive home from work. Mm -hmm. Like it's great. Life's good right now. Um, so I went to DC. I literally was in his, in his condo, went in the elevator, went down the elevator, got out, phone pops up, John Wall traded to Houston. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, what's this going to mean for me? Like I was supposed to, I was still supposed to be in DC for like three or four more days. I get a text. Hey, you're your flights tomorrow morning going back home. I was like, cool. Send a text to John, you know, man, so excited for you for your next part of your journey. Like, just let me know if you need anything. And he kind of was like, you know, I'm going to get to Houston. I'm going to settle in. I'll hit you up. I'll let you know what's going to go on. Um, and then that was the COVID year. Like that was the big COVID year. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really, one, I, I didn't really want to, but then I also kind of saw the NBA rules. Like, it was crazy that year with the NBA. Like, you couldn't no, – no outside people in. Like, it was it was wild. Like, they were getting tested twice a day every day. Like, if you missed the test, you couldn't play. Like it Oh, this was, was the, the bubble. It was, no, the year after the bubble. So, oh, it was, the, it was yeah. the COVID year with no fans. Gotcha. Uh, I think some cities ended up having fans, yeah, like, middle yeah. of the year. And it was also, like, a new team. So, I think he was just kind of like, you know, I don't want – I don't know really what happened that year. But we, we stayed in contact. We stayed cool. Um, and then the year after that, and I'm terrible at years, so this is probably 2020 maybe, um, maybe 2021. He comes back to L.A., says kind of the same thing, like, hey, man, I really want you to be part of my team. Like As you're training him. As I'm training him, yeah. So he's back in L.A. for – at this time was like – this time was kind of complicated. It was, he was going to be in L.A. for a week, and then they had me scheduled going to Vegas with him 
for uh, Summer League, come back to L.A. for a week, and then back to Vegas for his AAU team was going to play. So the first week, I already had scheduled. So I already had that scheduled. Like, he already asked me, like, hey, can you go to Vegas with me for these three or four days, and then we'll be back in L.A. So, like, when he would come to L.A. at that time, like, I would tr- block off three four hours for him. Then I'd go back home, train my normal people, boom, do all that stuff. So, so we did the first week in L.A., went to Vegas with him. When we got back from Vegas – that next trip, probably like the first, so let's say we were there for five days on like day two, he was, he said like, man, I really need you like on my team full time. Like how, how can we figure this out? And I was like, okay, got three days till we go to Vegas. And then I don't know what you're doing after that. So I got to try to figure this out. So I talked to my wife about it. That was when we started talking about like, okay, he's going to play in Houston. Okay. So do you want to just move the family to Houston? And she was like, yeah, like, that would be super fun. Like, change it up. We've been in Ventura our whole freaking lives. So, like, that would be fun. So I go back to John. I, I go to his his team to, like, make sure, that, like, things are good. We work out numbers. We do go through everything. Um, and we come upon an agreement. And this was probably day, like, four. We're leaving on day six. Uh, we come to agreement. He was like, all right, cool. We're going to Vegas. And then after Vegas, we're going to Miami. And then season's going to start. I was like, all right, cool. So my wife's like, yeah, I'm on board. It's great. Things are great. Um, I texted 90 people, a mass text. Hey, I'm, which was the cool part because, like, like I said before, like Ventura, I don't think has seen a lot of the training that, like, I do um, or, the like, the caliber of training. And, like, I don't try to, like, sound cocky with that. But, like, when I left and sent that text, a lot of my clients' responses were, damn, I've been training with a guy that, is now hired by John Wall for like two and a half years. And I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like this mutual respect. They were kind of like, man, this is so awesome for you. So it was, it was like a really good way to leave. Like I was really nervous that like people were going to be super pissed or my business was going to be gone. And like, I had, I had made that decision though, within like those 24 hours that like I could come back to absolutely nothing. Like my business could be gone. I could have to start over, which I was cool with at that time. Um, so yeah. So then we, we venture on our journey. And then that time he was with the Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets. So then now he's currently with the Los Angeles Clippers. Yep. Which means that you're closer to the, you're closer to home. Yep. So how did that change everything? Because, you know, off camera, all three of us were talking about how, you know, the worlds that we live in were, were always gone, which means our significant others are always home. Uh, we're gone for months at a time. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, uh, topic in this, in this podcast is like when you come home and, you know, after months and you're, you're a guest in your own house and you got to, you know, adapt to it. But when your wife and you heard the news that he was going to be a clipper, how did that, how did that work out? Yeah, man, it was like, like take a step back, like the year in Houston, like we ended up going to Houston. They ended up coming to the agreement that like, uh, John was going to sit until a trade happened, um, which made it kind of hard because it was like, okay, great, we're going to prepare for that and we're going to train. But it kind of made it hard for my wife. She was like, I don't really want to come to Houston because we, we had planned to get a condo there. She's like, I don't really want to come to Houston because I was traveling with John and we were training for, for a trade to happen. So she was like, I don't want to come to Houston where I don't know anybody and then just be home all the time by myself um, when you're on the road. So it was like, okay, cool. But, like, this is going to be really freaking hard. Um, and I don't think we – registered that because we were just like yeah let's do it this is great like and my wife like she gets all the credit in the world because like she knew this was my dream and she allowed me to like live this dream out of like 
traveling the world with an NBA superstar and like training him and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but like within that year, I saw my wife and my daughter. I left when she was five months. I got back a couple, few months back. I don't remember. What, I was basically gone for like a year sh- straight. Um, I saw them eight times in that year. And those eight times, like the longest time was a week for Christmas, um, which was amazing. He gave me that time off, which I was lucky for. Um, outside of that, though, it was kind of like a, which like I'm sure you know, is like, hey, fly home for two days, and then I got to take a red eye, so I'm back on Mondays. So, like yeah. leave leave Friday as soon as we're done training. Sunday, take a red eye out of L.A., get back in Miami by a certain amount, like whatever time, so we could train that day. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was home for weeks at a time. Like it was probably a total of, I don't know, like 30 days I was home for the entire year. Um, so that, that was – that was brutal. Um, so then season ends. Um, we start to get ready for the next season. We took a little break, which I was home for, which was amazing. Then we start to get into this new thing of like a trade is a hundred percent going to happen or a buyout. Like one of the two things were going to happen. Um, cause I think personally, John was just like ready to play basketball. Like he, at this point he was just like, I just want to play basketball. However we can figure this out. We're going to figure it out. Um, and then he slowly started talking about the Clippers and I was like, man, I, I hope this works out. Like, this would be so dope to be able to go back home, live in L.A., you know, like, it would just it would just be super dope. Um, and then, uh, and then freaking Adrian Wojnarowski, the freaking man of the NBA, Woj, yeah. freaking puts out John Wall to the Clippers. And I remember where I was at John's house, because um, I, I, I lived in-house with John. So we were there, and all of a sudden, I think my phone was on the charger, and all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up. It's my wife, everybody, like, is this real? Like, is this actually going to happen? Um, I answer, I call my wife back. I'm like, it's real. Like, we were, I think we took a couple, like, shots to celebrate. Like, it's actually, <laughs> he's on a freaking team again. And my wife was just bawling. Like, she's like, I can't even talk to you right now. Like, this is the best day of my life. Like, this last year has been hell. Like, this is amazing. You get to come home. And that first day, like, the second day, like, that first day was just so, like, such a high, like, you're just like, man, this is actually legit. And for me, it was like both. It was like, I get to go home and see my family and be with my family. And then two, like, John really is like my brother now. To see the excitement on his face and the joy that he gets to be on a basketball team again and, like, play for a team yeah, was just like, man, this is amazing. So, like, it was so high. And, like, the next day was like I got overtaken by emotion that morning of, like, we're actually going to L.A. and we're going to be on a flight in, like, a week. I get to move back in with my family and be, like, a, a dad, like, which I've dreamed about for years. And so, like, it was just, like, it's hard to put in words, but it was, like, an emotional roller coaster of just, like, pure, like, the purest joy that you could possibly think of, like, being able to come back home and be with your family. I love it. I love it, bro. So now you get to be back in L.A. with your family. I'm sure being gone so often, you, I'm sure you missed some things, like, Pep and I were, like, we were all talking about earlier. Was there anything specific that you missed that you really hated missing that now you're like, oh, I, I fucking love that I get to do this? Yeah, I mean, everything. Uh, like, we were talking on the phone last night, like, I missed, you know, my daughter, like, really, like, crawling for the first time, oh. walking for the first time, talking for the first time. Like, I think I was, a couple of times I was home, like, she would do those things, but, yeah. like, kind of like the they grew up so fast. So it's like, like I might be home and maybe she said a word for the first time and I was there, but it's like, I was gone instantly. And then like the next couple of weeks she was saying like mama, dada and like talking a lot. And it's like, damn, wow. I'm not there for that. And then like her first steps, like I remember getting videos of like her standing up 
and then like taking like the smallest little step and then like falling and then like and then maybe I was home the next time and she took like a couple steps and I was like damn like was that her first step though like was it not and so like yeah like being away it felt like I missed like everything yeah that was the hardest part like growing growing our family together and like like we were talking on the phone last night like the hardest part for me and my wife was we had two miscarriages leading up to my daughter um the first one being like brutal like my wife was on bed rest for two and a half months um we were 24 we'd always talked about being like the younger parents having kids like we always thought about that um and that was brutal and like it was really hard on our family it was really hard on me and my wife it was really hard on my wife to like the psychological psychological part of a miscarriage is like one people don't really talk about and it's Mm -hmm. like it's a hurdle to get over because you're kind of like is it going to happen again um because you have like those first 12 weeks where they say it's like really like it's common that's gonna mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. So it's like you gotta wait twelve weeks and it can happen at any point. So our second one, our first our first uh we found out we were pregnant, we went to the doctor, everything was good, heard a heartbeat, all that kind of stuff. We go back in, I think at like the eight or ten week, and you could see this time you could actually see like a like a baby um on the ultrasound. But then like the nurse was kinda quiet and my wife kinda looked at me and I was kinda like, What's going on here? And then there was just no heartbeat. Um so that was our second one. And my wife decided that time to get a DNC, which is, you know, pretty common procedure. They go in, they kind of just clean everything out and you're kind of good the next day. Um, so that was like the first, the, the first miscarriage we had, it was kind of like it there. You couldn't really see there's no baby in there. Right. It was just kind of like an open sack in a sense. And it was just kind of yeah. like, Oh, this is your baby. But it kind of was like a stick. It like doesn't really look like much. Um, but it was brutal and it was kind of like, damn, why, like what, like, this is crazy. And then you kind of started to think about all these different things. Like, is it you? Is it me? Is it both of us? Like, is there something going on? And the second one was like even crazier. Cause it's like, you kind of see a being like, there's like, that's our baby. Like you could kind of like, it already had its shape a little bit. You kind of see a head. Like it wasn't like obviously fully there yet, but, um, but that one was a little bit more, you know, simple. So like then when, uh, we ended up going to a specialist. We ended up doing all this stuff. And then you get past those 12 weeks, and it's kind of like a sigh of relief. Like, oh, finally it's here. Um, our rain- Like they call it like a rainbow baby, like after you've had a miscarriage. Um, so, yeah, so, like, that was, like, hard. Like, going through that from 24 to 27, then when we had Blakely, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to leave <laughs> yeah. for a year when I've been waiting four years to be a dad. Um, so, yeah, now, like, now being home is just, like, like everything. Like it's, it's, it's hard to say one thing, which is literally just seeing her grow, being a dad, being like a husband, being like a family is like the most like amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you just got to spend two days in, with them at yeah. Disney. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. We said Disneyland for two days, which is crazy. Disneyland's a lot. He just Disney came out of Disneyland. Yeah, that, was, that was heavy. It's a lot. So what is the ultimate goal you know, uh, finishing, we're, we're, we're at the, like the last, the last chapter of our podcast. And we, we always ask like questions from all over the place. We have three like uh staples that we always ask, but a couple questions that I have is what's the goal for, for you, like the overall goal and also for your business. Cause you say you still own your gym as well here in Ventura. Yeah. You know, lately I've been like the last, the last couple of years, like since I started with John really, it's been kind of like a blur, um, which I'm sure plenty of people have like experienced. Like when you get like really busy, things start to become a blur. Um, and so now I've been spending and like sitting a lot with like, what's next for me. Like, obviously John's not going to play in the NBA for 15 more years. So it's like, it's, it's hard to say like, you know, 
what that's going to be. Um, it's not like I'm starting with a rookie that's like, hey, I'm going to be with this guy for a long time. Um, but for me, it's a lot of like being present. Um, I really want to do an amazing job with John. Um, I want to give him an opportunity to play the end of his career at the highest possible level. Um, that's what I'm focused on a ton right now. Um, I do have a gym in Ventura um, that I don't really operate right now. I kind I stepped away when I left, and I kind of stepped away in the sense of I'm crazy when it comes to, like, micromanaging things. So it was better for me just to step away than mm-hmm. me try to be away and, like, be like, hey, this is how we run things. This is how we're going to do things. I kind of gave it to two of my buddies. Um, so the goal really is to do the best I could possibly do with John and give him the biggest opportunity to finish his career how he wants to finish it. Um, second is to slowly step back into my gym mentor, um, and grow that to like where I want it to go, um, to be, you know, one of the biggest gyms in Ventura, to give a place for Ventura athletes or Ventura people to have the highest possible training available to them, um, in, in their city, not have, like, I know so many athletes that drive to Westlake, drive to yeah. Thousand Oaks, drive to Santa Barbara to get training. And it's like, why, like, why are we not offering that here in Ventura? Um, so I'm trying, I will, I will switch that over time. Um, so those are like probably my biggest goals from a professional standpoint is like, I want to make an impact in Ventura. Um, I want to give John his best possible finish to this career and then possibly, you know, stay in the NBA realm, um, after John, whenever that is. But those are like my focuses right now. Recently, there was an article that was on the, uh, the player's tribune and it was about John wall, uh, for people who live under a box and are not NBA fans, John wall is. I mean, I remember when I was coming up in high school, like back when it was like ball is live highlights and stuff. He was one of like the, the biggest guys to come out of there. I remember, I mean, guys like him, OJ Mayo, Bill Walker, like those cats. And then he ended up going to Kentucky yeah. was a baller. And so he was, he's, he's a big time NBA player. He's always had tons of injuries, but in this article that, that came out, he talks about um, contemplating suicide. Uh, and I know earlier in this podcast, we had spoken about, you know, during your time in college and that week of, you know, whether I'm not going to, I'm going to drive off the cliff or not. Um, have you guys ever spoken about that or, or not? Nah? I think we're both pretty similar. Yeah. And like kind of what he says in his article is like, you know, we're as, as men, um, we kind of keep that stuff down deep uh, and we kind of figure out, you know, kind of this body armor on, we could figure stuff out on our own. Um, so we've never had like an open conversation about it. Um, but when I read the article, uh, it hit home for me because like I'd been there before. Um, and I, I sent him a text, you know, like, man, read your article, super powerful piece. Um, like just so you know, like I've been that place before. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've become like, you know, brothers in a sense. Um, we have a lot of similarities in life, um, experiences that we've been through. And, you know, he just wrote back, like, all love, brother. Like, you know, you're my guy. Like, yeah. we, we kind of ride through this together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we we never kept an open. And that's kind of like I'm a professional at the end of the day. <laughs> like, I say we're brothers, but, like, I don't like to always just be open and talk about that kind of stuff. Like, we have a job to do, and that's what we're going for. Um, but, you know, for people out there, like I've said before, like, I've had clients um, – high school kids, college kids that have opened up to me about maybe not suicidal, but like lost, don't understand what's going on in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes, especially in Southern California, it's hard to be like an independent person. Like 
find a job that pays well enough to be able to buy a house and yeah. live on your own. It's, it's, it's hard. So I've, I've had plenty of clients that have reached out to me and like, that's, you know, when I do talk about it, it's more of a space of like, you want to talk to someone like, talk to me. Like I'll, yeah. I've, I've been through, like I'm young, but like I've been through some stuff that hopefully I could help you out, put you in the right places, especially mentor. Like I, I know a lot of people I'm well connected here. So like, if you need help, if you want to grab coffee with someone, if you want to like get an internship, a job, like that's what I try to be for people is like, Hey, I could try to push you in a place where you can start to get on the right road. Yeah. Um, or if you want to be the trainer, like I'm like, I'll set you up whatever you need. Coming down to the wire. The final three questions that I always ask. First one is if you could go back and actually, no, let me start with this one. Who would, what, what, what three pieces of advice would you give to somebody who wants to be a personal trainer? I said this the other week. Um, I talked with a bunch of like strength coaches. Um, first thing I said is I'm terrible at advice. I hate giving advice because like my journey has just been purely just like hard work, which is like everyone gives that advice. Um, but the three I came up with were basically like number one, be you and bet on you. Um, like when I left proactive, a lot of people said that's crazy. Um, but in our industry, in order to like, make it on your own and do what you want to do. Like you have to eventually like bet on you and just take a risk and do that on your own. Um, and BU is like huge because I think a lot of people nowadays, especially in the trainer world, like there's so much stuff on Instagram, YouTube, social media that these younger trainers or just the trainers in general try to like be like someone else where I think if you're just you and you find someone that like connects with you or clients that connect with you, like those people are going to ride with you forever. Like, and I've had this talk with a lot of people, like even like some of the smartest trainers I know in the world don't have any clients because they can't have a conversation. They can't relate mm -hmm. to the person. They can't, that person doesn't want to come train with you. So there has to be some type of balance of like you, who you really are. Um, and then obviously be good at what you do. But like, that's what I tell a lot of people. Um, two is obviously like work extremely hard. Like the training world, too many people nowadays focus on social media. There's only one way to get good at training. And it's training people mm -hmm. like from 2015 to 2018, 19, when I started, uh, when I started with John, I averaged probably 10 and a half, 11 hours a day training people like every single day. Yeah. Like I had a 30 minute break. Like I would, I would literally start at 5 a.m., go to 12, go from 12 to 1230 and then 1230 to 730 to 830 at night. And that was just training people. Jeez. So like I had a huge, and that, that set me up for success because like, and I, when I say like work hard, I'm not saying like, like I think people's like really work hard. Like people, I think some people like are like, Oh, I train a couple people here and then I do some social media and then I do this. And I call oh, I'm so exhausted at three o'clock. Yeah. And it's like, dude, that's like, you got to work hard in the training business. Like there's only like, and I've talked to high, high professionals and it's like, you have to work with people in order to get good at training and be able to understand training and be able to work with anybody. I mean, the train, like you said earlier, like, being in this industry, like, you're relatively doing something that you love. Like, I'm around athletes all day, every day. Yeah. Like, and that's just, like, amazing thing. Um, I don't got to go to a desk all day, have wear a suit, and sit at a desk for eight hours. Like, I can make my own schedule. I can work with who I want to work with um, and just have fun with it. Like, you know, I, I have, like, I don't even consider myself that I work every day. It's just, that's just, just what I do. If you, yourself, you said you're 29, if you can go back and – Speak to your senior self that week that you were having, you know, that time when you were, you know, going down the streets and looking at that cliff. What would you want to tell him? 
I mean, the simple thing is like everything's going to be all right. Like you just got to get through it. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've been through, though, is like I wouldn't really tell myself anything, even if I went back, because like that shaped who I am. Um, it gave me experience. It gave me like that type of feeling. Um, I can relate to a lot of people that have had those type of feelings. Um, so like, you know, going back to a simple thing is like, it's going to be all right. And like the biggest thing for me now is like my wife and my daughter, like if I would have done something at that point, like I wouldn't have that. Sure. And like my wife and my daughter are like my everything in this world, like everything that I do, they, it's, it's because of them decisions I make is because is it, is it good for my wife and my daughter is like, am I being a good dad? Am I being a good husband? Like that's what my world revolves around now. And I couldn't imagine not having that. Um, but like going back, like I probably wouldn't really say much. Like I would just, you know, don't do it. Like, yeah. You know, don't do it because like your life is going to be amazing. But like, I truly think everything that I've been through, like I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't go back and be like, Hey, do this different, do that different. Like, you know, whatever it is, because that truly shaped who I am today. And I don't think I would be this person today if I didn't go through those type of things. That's it. Right, um, at the end of the day, it's all said and done. What do you want it to say? On your, I guess this is kind of morbid saying it this way. On your headstone, what do you want to be known as? Three of them. So Jared you Wilson. Want three? Yeah. So Jared oh. Wilson was a blank, 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 blank. Like three words? No, uh, it can be three phrases, Six. three whatever, three whatever. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, Jared was a loving father and husband. Um, I mean, for me, that would be like all three. Um at the end of the day, like I said the other day, like to a group of people is that like the beautiful, beautiful thing about being a f husband and father is that, um, like when I come home from certain things, like my wife obviously cares cause she's so supportive, but like my daughter doesn't care what I do, who I'm around. Yeah. She, she will yell around yelling John wall, but she has no idea who that is or anything <laughs> I have. Like, and so like, that's probably the most important thing, like bolded, underlined everything. Um, but you know, Jared's, I mean, I don't even know, man. Those are like, that's that's literally all three of them. That's all that I truly care about. You know, the other ones are washes to me. Like, hey, man, I, <laughs> I, 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 I respect know, The other it. one would be, like, you know, I'm good, like, for me, it's like family. My, like, family is in, like, my extended family. Everybody is involved in my family. Professionally, like, you know, I was good at what I did. Yeah. That's just, like that's just ingrained in me. Like, I don't even really think about that. Like I just, again, be me and do my job. Um, and you know, the last one, I guess I would say is that, you know, Jared made an impact on his community. Like I, I, I truly want to make an impact on Ventura, um, when the time is right. And I can make those, I can make those moves and change the way that, you know, people not only train, but like, I've seen so much in what I did in the short time in Ventura with, like I said, with clients, like training and, can really change who a person is. Like I've had, like I'm sure you've seen it in like jujitsu and certain things. Like you sometimes get these kids that walk in the door and you're kind of like, what, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And then a year goes by and you're like, man, you're like, you're a grown man now. The way you walk around, the way you carry yourself, the way, like, and I've, ha I've seen those, like, and like that to me is bigger than say going off and getting a scholarship, like changing a kid from maybe a shy, like kind of walks around like this to like now he's, like confident yeah. like has, you know, and that that's a direct relationship from training, but like also just like being around people and just making an impact in the community. You'd probably be like my third one. I dig it. Jared. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Juan. Bonnie.
Appreciate you. Yeah. Everybody who uh, who listened, who watched, we appreciate you guys. Of course, thank you to our sponsor, Persistence Culture Media Group. And until next time, we are out. Peace. Bars. Uh, you have fun? Great.